0: Welcome to Bible Foundations with Ben Dixon. Thank you for joining us today. This is a podcast where we go through books of the Bible, one chapter at a time. We're in 1 Peter right now. We're gonna jump into chapter four, but before we do that, let me remind you where you can watch, listen, and subscribe to these podcasts. You can go to YouTube. I have a YouTube channel called Ignite Global Ministries. Please subscribe to that. And also you'll notice that there's a playlist called Bible Foundations where you can follow along all of the chapters that we go through. You can also go to Apple Podcasts. That's iTunes, or you can go to Spotify and you can download Bible Foundations with Ben Dixon and follow along. Please share this with others and give us a review. That always helps to get the podcast in front of other people. Again, We are in 1 Peter chapter 4, so let's pray and jump right in. Father, thank you for your word. We pray today that you would open our eyes so that we can see what you want us to see and we can obey the word as you intend. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, real quickly, just a point of review before we start reading the passages today. we were looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 last week, and as we sort of look back, Peter was giving some advice to husbands and wives, some commands, things that they need to follow that will not only be fruitful for their marriage, but also glorifying to Jesus as we learn to follow Him. He really is talking about the context of suffering well. That's constantly what bleeds through every chapter. If you've been following along, you know that's what he's saying about every about every other set of verses. And it's just obviously something that the people he's talking to are facing. They're facing all kinds of persecution, mostly verbal persecution. That's why he says things to them like, don't revile when you've been reviled. Don't insult when you've been insulted. And Jesus, of course, is the backdrop and the example for how we are to act and behave and attitudes that we are to have. And so he's saying you should suffer well. He says that to husbands and wives. He says that to people in their job. And in chapter three, he's talking to these scattered believers all over the place, and he's saying what brings glory to Jesus is for his people to look like Jesus. That's really what he's going after constantly. Make sure that you suffer well. Don't suffer because you're sinning or you're doing something you shouldn't or you're responding in a way that doesn't look like Jesus. Make sure that you suffer well when hard times come, when you're persecuted for the gospel, when you're doing what is right, you're saying what is right, you're living in a way that is right. Make sure that you suffer well because in that place, you you let your light so shine among men that they see your good deeds, your good attitude, and your good example, and they glorify your Father in heaven. That's what Peter's all about. And we're going to see some of that here in chapter four as well. It's not going to be any different. And so, with that said, let's go ahead and jump right in. I'm going to read to you the first 11 verses and then give some comments on that. So, here's what it says in verse one Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh, Has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for the gospel for this purpose has been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God." The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so. As one who is speaking the utterances of God, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is not The whole chapter, it's only half of the chapter, but we want to study that first, the first 11 verses. I believe, and I'm labeling this as a point sort of categorically, that this section of Scripture represents Peter's perspective in calling the people to choose to live for the purpose of God. Notice the word choose. I believe that's what he's going after, that we have a choice. Jesus is our example. The Scriptures, are instruction, but we have to choose. And I believe that he's speaking to them in this way. And so in verse 1, when he's talking to them about, uh, in chapter 4 in verse 1, when he says, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same purpose. When he says this, he's looking at talking to them still about the whole idea of suffering with Jesus being our ultimate example. And he's being really practical here. He's like, if you really are going to suffer well, If this is something that's going to come out of you, like when you're squeezed, if you're an orange, orange juice is going to come out of you. If you're an apple, apple juice is going to come out of you when you're squeezed. If you're a Christian, Christ should come out of you. But if you're a Christian and you're squeezed by the fiery trials of life and Jesus doesn't come out of you, then something is wrong. Just like if orange juice came out of an apple when it was squeezed, that would be Let's go ahead and say it together. That would be weird. That would be strange. (laughs) All right, you wouldn't expect that. And so he's saying, if you're actually going to have Christ come out of you when you're squeezed, the way that you're going to do that is you need to arm yourselves with the same purpose. This idea of arm yourselves, yeah, this is like a military term. He's saying that you need to put on, like a soldier puts on a uniform, like the soldier picks up their weapons. A good attitude, the idea here of purpose, when he's speaking to the word purpose, he's saying you have to have the same intention, you have to have the same understanding, you have to have the same mentality. If our mentality is not the same that brought Jesus from heaven to earth to love all of the people that he was going to give his life for and to glorify his father while he was on the earth, so glorifying God, loving people to bring about redemption. If our mindset is not the same as Jesus, there's no way that we'll be able to endure as an example of Jesus, because we're trying to find some type of strength to continue the mission and the ministry of Christ, and it's just not possible. So, he's been exhorting them to live in a certain way and to choose that, but before you just simply choose, I'm going to live like Jesus, you have to have the same mentality, the same understanding. It's, it's almost like a picture of a soldier. And attitudes, friends, are weapons. Either they're, we're going to be defeated by them, or we're going to have victory because of them. This is the point. Arm yourself with the right attitude. Some translations say, arm yourself with this attitude that was in Christ Jesus. So pick up your equipment and understand how important that is. Verse 3, For the time has already passed that is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality. And then he goes through this whole list of things. And this is where it's clear that he's talking to a group of people that used to be pagans. They were not just non-Christians. They were pagan idol worshipers. And he's saying, remember who you used to be? Well, you're not that way anymore. And, uh, and you need to reflect on that. You need to remember that God has delivered you. You need to realize that who you were is no longer who you are, so you can't behave the same way that you once did. And then, and then he gives them this language, which is kind of intre- interesting because it suggests not only that they were pagans, but they're still around plenty of non-Christians that behave in the way that they used to. Because he says it like this, in all of this, they, they are those who are not Christians that you're still around. They're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and then they malign you. They don't, they're, they're shocked that you're stopping your behavior, and then you're, you're telling them why Jesus is the reason that I'm no longer doing what you're doing and then they get upset. Has anybody ever had this happen to them? I'm sure you have, right? You used to run a certain way, you used to do a certain thing, as you were hanging out with people that didn't love Jesus, didn't believe, in, you were one of them too. And now you said, I can't do that anymore, and people go, what? <laughs> why are you not willing to do what we're doing? And it's offensive to people. It, it offends them. And so part of the reason why we get verbal persecution from those that are, are living the way they are not a Christian lifestyle is because misery loves company and they want us to join them. It makes people feel better about their sin. It makes us feel better about our sin when we have other people consent and affirm. But he's saying, you can't live that way. Other people will. But you can't be surprised when they malign you as a result of that. But they will give an account to him is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they will live in the spirit according to the will of God. Now, all of this, he's essentially saying this, that you're not called to judge them, you're called to reach them. That's what he's saying. But you need to know that God is going to judge them through Christ. All right, So we need to make sure that we're living in a way to reach people, not living in a way to judge people. That's really what he's talking about. And we need to understand that the unsaved are all going to stand before Jesus Christ as their judge. We're called to win them through the person of Jesus Christ. So it's really, really powerful. We need to come out from that behavior. We still need to reach people, and, and we will in Jesus' name. Verse 7 he says, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And 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 this is vital. It's like, you need to be aware of what's going on around you, right? So with all that is chaotic in the world, you coming out and following Jesus, you receiving persecution, suffering is starting to happen. You need to be aware that you're going to get, as you get persecuted in all of this, that there is something macro that is happening that you might not be thinking about when you're suffering, right? When we get hurt, when we get offended, when we get wounded, we're not always thinking. Jesus is coming back. That's not always on the forefront of our mind. So he says, the end of all things is near. Keep this in view, be sober. That's right. Part of this is physically speaking. Like, Don't intoxicate yourself. Don't just distract or entertain or inoculate yourself. Don't become numb to try to minister to your heart because you're hurt or you don't enjoy the suffering that is happening. You need to be aware. You're doing this for a reason. You're following the righteous judge. Jesus is returning. People may not be living like that, but you have to be living like that. So he's encouraging them to realize that the end of all things is near and you've got to stay sober. You've got to be focused. And, and this is not something that, uh, this or this is something that every generation has to pay attention to. The Apostle Paul 10 times. He said in his letters to be sober of spirit. Be sober, right? Why? Because all of us can get carried away when we're wounded and when we're hurt and, and when we're suffering, when we're going through difficulty. Every person Can go through that. And what do we do? We medicate ourselves. We try to make ourselves feel better. We try to distract ourselves. We try to entertain ourselves. We all do that. We all lick our own wounds in one way or another, but we have to be a people of prayer. Prayer is the place where we exchange how we feel for what God gives. God gives joy in replacement for our sorrow. How does that happen? How do we even receive that? We only receive that through prayer. That's the divine exchange. This is so powerful because prayer is really the place where we receive from God. I want you to remember this. Friend, if you're struggling with your secret place, if you're struggling with corporate prayer, you've got be reminded that prayer is not a good idea. It's a God idea. Prayer is not something that we should do. It's something we must do. Prayer is not something that God invites us to when we're just struggling. It's something that he wants us to do as a part of communing with him. This is vital for our life. It's like blood flowing through our veins. Prayer is not our lifeline. Prayer is our life blood. And the way that we are going to continue and endure in prayer is to realize that it Is a need for our lives. It's not something that we just tack on whenever we're feeling like we need a little bit more. We always need what God gives. And when we're suffering and when it's difficult, Jesus has a divine exchange for us. So be sober for the purpose of prayer. And then he goes into talking a little bit about how we would treat each other. So he's saying it to them, but it's true for us. Above all, above everything else that you're hearing me say, right? This is greater than keep fervent in your love for one another. This word fervent has a a picture attached to it. It's a Greek word and essentially is like an athlete that is straining for the goal before Fervent, like put all of your energy into this to love one another. It's going to require that type of fervency, that type of athletic straining to move forward, to love, this agape, to love, to cover over. He says, Love covers over a multitude of sins. This is, this word covers over is one word in Greek, and it's like building a bridge over like the flow, some kind of river that's pouring in. So just picture like the offense or picture the suffering or the difficulties of life like a river, right? And this is between brothers and sisters in the Lord. So people are going to offend each other. This is like a stream or a river. But Love is like building a bridge over that stream. It's more powerful than it covers over. We can cross over the bridge of love so that the offenses of life don't wipe us out. He's saying there is something more powerful than being offended or being wounded or being sinned against, and that is love. So he's saying you have to put your energy into love when you're offended by your brothers and sisters. That's in the church. You're gonna get offended in the church. We talk about church hurt, you're going to have church hurt. You're going to have hurt from people in the church. They call themselves Christians, but there's something more powerful than your hurt. And I want you to say it with me. What's more powerful than hurt is love. And so he says, be fervent. Put all of your energy into this place. Don't put your energy into your wound. Don't put your energy into distracting yourself or numbing yourself from your wound. Put your energy into the place, the only place that can overcome the actual offenses that come against you, in particular from those that are part of the body of Christ, because love covers over or crosses over all kinds of sins. That's really powerful. And then he goes into talking about the gifts that we have received from the Holy Spirit, that we minister to each other. He says that each one has received a special gift. This is past tense term. This means we all have received some type of spiritual gift. This is Romans 10 motivational gifts. We all have received. It's the same language that Paul uses. Employ it, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's given you gifts, supernatural spiritual gifts, and they may appear natural, but you've all been given this. And what you need to do is give it away to the people in the body of Christ. Build up the body of Christ. And then he describes just a couple of what those gifts are. If you speak, you should do so as one speaking utterances of God. That's to take it as seriously as someone who knows they're speaking from the Lord. That's, that's the point. It's about motivation. It's what causes you to use what God's given you. Whoever serves is to do so by one who is serving with the strength which God supplies. In other words, you're not just a person who gets tired and depleted. Well, I can't do that anymore. I used to do that. He's saying, if God has enabled you to serve, you have to realize that he gives you that second, third, fourth wind. You don't just have your normal, natural limitations. So that in all things, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion. I believe what Peter's talking about here is he's specifically focusing on the body, two aspects. One is we offend each other, and two is we've been given gifts to bless each other. So what do we do when we're offended? We love, because love is more powerful. And what do we do to build up? Not just when the offense happens, there's a response to the offense, but proactively, we take the gifts of God and we build each other up. And that's part of what helps us to sustain through all of these seasons of suffering from those that don't follow Jesus at all. And and then he goes into this section where I'm calling it, verse 12 to 19, suffering for Christ, where it brings glory to God. I I know we don't maybe think a lot about this, like, I want to suffer because it'll bring glory to God. No, we don't want to suffer But the fact is, if and when we suffer, we can bring glory to God. You can suffer and not bring glory to God. So that's why Peter is is helping them understand or contextualize what they're walking through. This is what you want to be thinking when you're walking through the insults and the persecution and the reviling and all that type of stuff. So he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. This is like a funny terminology in Greek. He said, do not be surprised. The word surprise would be used like when you have a guest that comes over to your house and you didn't intend on or plan on them coming over. Like, oh, Peter, I'm so glad you're here. I didn't plan on you being here. I don't have extra food. We don't have an extra place laid out for you at the table. We didn't make up the bed in our guest room, but I guess we can accommodate you. <laughs> it's it's a language that says, don't be surprised. In fact, you should plan for like you know that your cousin or your brother or your mom and dad are coming to stay with you. So, prepare the extra place at the table and make sure you make up the guest room because you know that this is a resident in your home. This is not something you're surprised by. He says, don't be surprised by the fiery trials, uh, the ordeals that come upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening. Well, what's the precedent for him saying, don't be surprised? It's everyone in the scriptures that's already suffered. It's also the person writing this, like Peter has gone through a great deal. Like, guys, listen, everybody that's in your history, like all of our lineage, people of faith, they've all gone through this or worse. And that's the word. It's like, don't be surprised when you go through this kind of stuff. And then he says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Or exaltation, not exaltation. Well, why is he saying that? He says, To the degree that you suffer for Christ is the same degree for which you will experience glory. Suffering precedes glory. Yes, there are rewards in heaven. If we go through in this life pain, difficulty, or whatever, but we do so as we serve Jesus and we do it in a way that Jesus would do it, there are rewards on the other side. Jesus wants to reward his people. He doesn't just want us to bear up under the pain. He doesn't just want us to be shattered by the suffering. He wants us to understand that we are going to receive glory right alongside Him because we are in Him. He's proud of us when we do right and righteously in His name. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, thief, evildoer, troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is the time of judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? I don't know if you've ever heard this verse used a lot. It's like people will preach it like judgment needs to begin at the household of God. Well, it may or not be used appropriately or in context when it's said or preached. It just depends. But what Peter is saying here in context is that suffering precedes glory, but the kind of suffering that does not precede glory is where we suffer or we are harmed as a result of our own unrighteous deeds. So he's essentially saying that we need to judge ourselves or we'll be judged by Jesus. That's the reality of it is there is a glory that we want and there is a, there is a, a, a suffering that brings it about but then there is no glory for the person that suffers for his own unrighteousness. If we share in his suffering, we can rejoice because we'll share in fellowship with him and the spirit of glory rests on us. We must ensure that we're not suffering for wrongdoing. In the last verse, therefore, those who also suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And you know what that says to me personally? That speaks to me about peace when I think about the will of God, when I think about, man, I'm doing what is right and the things that are happening to me, the things that people are saying to me about me or even just whatever persecution you, it might be. And I don't mean like trolls on the internet or or Google reviews or whatever, stuff like that. That doesn't matter. Like actual personal attacks, things that happen. The, the enemy wants to take out the people of God. That's That's just always been the case so when you take a step of faith and when you obey jesus what you have to know is that the enemy even if the enemy is using an unwitting vessel like a person who in their own mind might think that they're doing right but their thinking is satanic their mindset is wrong they uh, they oppose the the will and the words of god maybe that person's going to say something or do something to offend or wound you in some way. We, we have to understand that when we take steps of faith, uh, the enemy will do what he can through whomever he can to stop us, to distract us, to distort us, to discredit us. Those things are going to happen. It won't happen all the time, but it will happen sometimes. We have to be ready for it. We have to understand it, and we have to stand up under it. We We don't want to respond in like kind. We don't want to be the same way that we're being treated. We don't want to respond in that way but we can respond in a way that makes us uh that make that grows us develops us into the person that looks more like Jesus and ultimately the point of that is that Jesus gets the glory from it. We sing it, we say it, but we have to live it. That's what Peter's going after. In fact, you have to have the purpose of God in mind when you're going through difficulty. You just have to like it's not about me. It's about him. This isn't this isn't um, just about me bearing up under it. There's something that's coming out of this as a result. And all glory be to God. Peter says, this has to be your mentality. You need to arm yourselves with the same purpose that sent Jesus from heaven to earth. It was to glorify the Father, and it was to love and bring redemption to people. If we have that same mindset, friends, we'll be able to suffer well and, and give glory all the glory to God. I pray that chapter four blesses you And I want to encourage you to continue with this study all the way to chapter 5, and then we're just going to keep going through 2 Peter as well. But something we're picking up is that suffering comes, but we can suffer rightly or we can suffer wrongly, but the choice is ours. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for everyone tuning in today. I pray you bless them, strengthen them, strengthen us to follow and obey you according to your word. We love you, and we thank you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. I look forward to seeing you on the next chapter at Bible Foundations.